0: I'm really excited this morning to introduce um, our preacher, Bill McCutcheon. For those of you guys who are on the Men's Retreat, he needs no introduction. He was our speaker, did an amazing job. Um, Bill is a senior pastor at Hilton Head Prez, graduated from RTS Jackson in 1996, and has been serving the local church um, for the past 27 years. He and his wife, Lisa, have been married for over 32 years. Three sons, um, Will and Zach and Matthew. His oldest, Will, is a member here with his wife, Ashton, and grandson, Liam, and I told um, Bill, it, w- it was awesome just the way the Lord used him on our men's retreat. And guys, keep bringing it up at our community group Tuesday night. Um, guys, when I was like, hey, Bill's preaching, we're so excited. But I said, coming out of the retreat, that David Brooks' second mountain could be like required reading um, for a lot of what Bill hit on about not wasting your life, pursuing things that don't matter. And in that book, David Brooks talks about his own conversion, and he says, um, Frederick Beekner, when he was only 26, the novelist had already written a few best-selling novels, and was searching, is there more in life, and ended up visiting a church. And he said to his great disappointment, he found that the preachers preached out of the shallows and not out of any depth. And it hit me because I told Bill, if there's anything I can say about you, brother, is that you preach out of your depths, and it's such a gift. And so thanks for being here. Let me pray, and then you come on up and preach the word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your word, which is living and active, and by the power of your Holy Spirit goes forth to accomplish your purpose We thank you that it never returns void. Thank you for our brother and your son, Bill. Thank you for the ways you work and speak through him. Thanks for the passion and deep love that he has for the gospel. Thank you for his gratitude and the way he even regularly shares on his need of your grace. And so use him this morning, speak through him, anchor him deep in your love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Matt. Well, good morning. It is uh, truly an honor. Uh, to be with you. I was raised in uh, the manse in the church. My father was a pastor um, in ministry, been raised uh, under some phenomenal leadership, and the thing that I never take for granted, uh, at least historically, doesn't look that way, uh, but the pulpit was called the sacred desk, and uh, from it you look in and you divide properly God's Word and it is sacred because of not the person standing behind it, but because of the content of what we speak about. And uh, I will uh, say it is an honor man, never take lightly another man handing over uh, the pulpit. Uh, So thank you for that. Uh, It's good to be with you. I bring greetings from uh, the saints, the church down in Hilton Head, uh, South Carolina. Uh, People always ask me, Boy, you really suffer for Jesus down there, don't you? <laughs> and uh, I, I never say that I suffer uh, for Christ, uh, but my ministry uh, is uh, not altogether different from a ministry in South Charlotte. I grew up in Charlotte. I'm a graduate of West Charlotte. Um, loved being from Charlotte, loved coming back to Charlotte. Hilton Head is a lot like uh, South Charlotte in that our ministry are to a lot of camels that have a hard time getting through the eye of a needle. Meaning the scripture says it is more difficult for a man, a person who has wealth and who has success in this world to come to Christ than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Because the problem with the beauty of the future of South Charlotte, of the beauty of the Carolinas, the beauty of the low country, is it makes us think that we've already gotten the glory that we've already gotten everything that we were designed to have. And the scriptures regularly teach us, if not life itself, we really haven't. There's still something missing. There's still something in our depths that we're crying out for. And this morning I was uh, given the privilege of preaching uh, from Exodus in y'all's series. Uh, Today we're looking at that very small and light topic of the glory of God. The purpose for which God exists is to bring glory to Himself. The purpose, as Jonathan Edwards wrote in his incredible treatment, uh, the purpose for which God created all things uh, is for His glory. Uh, It is the ultimate good, and we were designed, if you are uh, from this tradition, at least in Presbyterian and Reformed, you may have been asked a question along the way, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is always the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. John Piper spun it a little and said, we glorify God most by finding uh, ourselves most satisfied in Him. And so, this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, and we're going to read together uh, from Exodus chapter 33. Um, we're going to look at chapter verse 12 through the end of the chapter into uh, chapter 34. We're not going to read all that right now. I'm going to reference it. And uh, it's a Tradition historically within the church, it doesn't necessarily have to be a tradition within your local church, uh, but it was out of reverence, not again for my voice, but for the voice that I represent to stand uh, for the reading and hearing of God's word. So I'm gonna invite you to stand again uh, now uh, and hear uh, God speaking to us through his word. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest." And he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not live, uh, see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where, my, uh, where you shall stand on the rock and, I, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In the work that I reference Jonathan Edwards' book, The End of, For Which God Created All Things, he writes this. He said, all that is ever spoken of in the Scriptures as the ultimate end of God's work is included in that one phrase, the glory of God. The beams of glory come from God, are something of God, and are refunded back again to their original so that the whole is of God and in God and to God, and He is the beginning and the middle and the end. I don't know why you're here I say that statement regularly to our congregation you may be here because you have an incredible passion for Christ and you realize that on the gathered day of worship we come uh, together uh, not simply out of duty uh, but out of joy to be encouraged because all week we've been discouraged watching the world around us tell us in a lot of different things watched our own failings, and we need to come back and be refreshed. We need to come back and be renewed, uh, come back so that we can then be sent out. Uh, You may be here because a person sitting near you told you you had to come. I'll say that's most 18 year olds and under that are here this morning. And so I'm glad that you're uh, here this morning, but you may also uh, be here because you're just tipping your toe back in. Maybe you grew up in church and like Matt referenced from you you've been in churches where there was no depth, it was just shallow. Or it was simply performance that if you did enough, then God would accept you and you realize that performance was never able to satisfy God nor satisfy us. Maybe you realize now, as so many do, this pattern of life Uh, You go about, you may grow up in the church, uh, you have some sort uh, of personal revival in Christ and you come to faith in him, you go off to college, you diminish for a season, there's 20s that you enjoy on the south end, which wasn't the south end back in the it was a place you didn't go except to the pterodactyl club, Uh, and uh, uh, and only then you would sneak out in and back out uh, again. And then you found somebody to get married, you had a couple of kids and you realized, I should probably get back in church, it'd be good for them. And maybe that's where you are and you're pursuing uh, life and the promotions are coming or not coming, the money's coming, the the whole thing is built uh, around, think about uh, how we even have homes. Some of you may have your first home. What do we call uh, the first home that we buy? It's a, what kind of home? starter home because you're not going to be satisfied with that home. We build it into the sales pitch. It's a starter home. Thank God I'm not a starter husband uh, that uh, Lisa just came and was like, well, I'll start with you, and then after a while, <laughs> I'll outgrow you, and we had starter kids, and then we uh, moved on. That's probably why we have three. We you know like, Whew, we messed up with you. let's try two. Okay, that's too much. All right, number three, there we got it. We're just too tired to care, and, uh, and, and so we, we look around and we've created within even our phraseology a dissatisfaction. They're entry-level jobs. You wouldn't want to stay in that job, heaven forbid that you have some small job when there's so many big jobs to have. Everything that I'm describing that centers around this idea and biblical concept of glory. It's saying that we were created for something that's greater than this world. And so the outline that I've like, given to you, and I gave that so cautiously, because uh, I use an outline, but I never follow it. And so if you're an outline person, I'm already going to change it. Number One that says glory given is now number two and number one is going to be glory described. I first need to tell you what glory is or else we don't understand anything about all of this. And by the way, this is an absolute primer. I am blowing through. I'm already looking at the clock and realizing I'm so far behind uh, and there's so much to say in the weight of this. But glory described is simply this. Glory is the splendor and the radiance of God. Glory is the weightiness, that the, the, the word is kavod. Uh, it is his otherness, it is his substance. It, it is the fact that God in his presence and who he is in his being is so other than anything else, it tips the scales fully. It is the transcendent beauty of who He is. Heaven uh, is the atmosphere of God's glory. It always strikes me as odd when people say they hate God, but they want to go to heaven. And I'm like, well, you're going to hate heaven? (laughs) Heaven is the very atmosphere of the presence of the being whom you hate. It is the radiant, overwhelming, abundant glory of God in one place. That's what glory is. Glory is this thing that can be understood uh, in terms of His presence. It's not just His attributes. It is fully who He is. But when you talk about your name, when you talk about who you are, you're really speaking about the personhood, speaking about you and your agency and all that you are. And, And that's what glory is about. Glory is simply who God is. It's who he is in his person and in his presence. Now, the next point, glory given. The points are this glory given, glory lost, glory restored, glory enjoyed. It's in the outline, it's in the bulletin. And, and so, glory uh, given. It's not actually in this passage. We're going to get to this passage very quickly. But, glory given is how we were created. We were created in the image of God by God. The, the very triune, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit said, let us make man and woman in our image, In our image, let us create them. And so, in our very created form, that's why being an understanding, a biblical understanding, and a biblical theology of creation is so important. Probably not the most important words, but pretty close to them are, in the beginning, God created that God in all of his glory and all of his magnificence and all of his splendor created out of nothing for no other reason than to create a space by which his glory could be seen and understood. He didn't need it, but he created all these things in in, uh, creation, and then especially he created male and female in his image that we would reflect his glory to one another, back to him and to the world that is around us. The psalmist in Psalm 8 uh, wrote this, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic, how glorious uh, is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouths of infants and children. You have established strength because of your foes. When I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou dost care for him? But you have made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory. What makes you distinctively different from everything else in all the created order is the fact that you're a glory bearer. You were given that by God at creation. That's who we were that's who we are Adam and Eve perfectly bore it uh, they reflected it to one another uh, they said uh, we're together there's nothing in between us we reflect this glory uh, in our uh, nakedness that we stand there uh, without anything between us we had a elder read uh, that passage in Scripture one time and he said who told you you were naked he sounded, it's like, no, not naked. Naked is a totally different understanding. Uh, Lewis Grizzard said that naked is no clothes on, naked is no clothes on, and you're up to something. <laughs> and and uh, we, we are naked before the Lord. We are naked before one another. We, there is a glory and a beauty in who we are as we were created. That's what glory was given to us. But then that glory was lost. Again, I'm having to give you some backstory to get us to Exodus 33 and 34. Chapter three happened. Adam and Eve, they believed the lie of a talking snake, and he came and deceived them and said, "You actually are made for more glory." God, God is selfish, and, and he is arbitrary, and he's malicious. And he's keeping something from you that you should have. And if you eat of this tree, then you can have the glory that is really only for him and for you to reflect. And so in chapter three, Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. You know the story. This church uh, believes that Adam and Eve were historic figures, that those things actually happened. They're not allegories speaking of something, but they ate. And in their eating of the fruit, glory departed. It says that the relationship between God and man, the relationship between us from now on, for all humanity was broken. That God came and he said, Adam and Eve, where are you? And they were hiding. And he said, what happened? And they told him. And he goes, I warned you. I warned you, I told you that eating of the fruit, death would enter, the brokenness of our glorious relationship would now be severed, would now enter in, and our relationship would be severed. He said, I I have to cast you out, because my glory, my radiance, my perfections, my kavod, it is so much that it would destroy you if we were staying in the same place together. And so I have to cover you with some fig leaves. And by the way, we've been trying with very uh, poor results to cover our loss of glory with fig leaves ever since. (coughs) Now they look like starter homes and second homes and third homes and bigger jobs and different spouses and, and all those different things. But all they are is coverings for our lack of glory, that we've lost it. And deep implanted within each of you is a design for glory and now a deep desire for that glory to return. Have you ever wondered what you're you're searching for? That's what you're searching for. C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory, a book that you should read, by the way, C.S. Lewis spoke in different ways, but he said, heaven or this place of God's glory is the song that we were born remembering. That sense of, there's a tune I can't get out of my head. I I know that this world is playing a lot of tunes, but it's not that tune. It has some similar harmonies, but there's something more for which I was created. There's a longing, he said, that goes beyond this world. And if there's longings that we have built into each of us that this world cannot satisfy, then we, therefore, were designed for another world. That that other world, is where these things can be satisfied. He wrote, our lifelong longing to be united with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no mere neurotic fantasy, but the truest index of our real situation. The sense that in this universe we are strangers, the longing to bridge some chasm that yawns between us and our reality. If you're here this morning and you realize that there is a longing within you, that everything that you are trying to do, every fig leaf that you have created, everything that you have tried is not satisfying, there's hope. I love the name of this church. Uh, in, In a city that has lost hope, in a world that's lost hope, to say I'm gonna go every week to a place called Hope, And go, there is a longing. And this longing, if I'm hungry for food, I go and eat. If I long for pleasure, I can go and do something fun. If there's a longing for something that is transcendent, we have to believe that there's a place for it. And this was lost in the story of Israel. Here, it says that it was lost. And this is back, I'm I'm sure that you guys have already preached through it. Uh, This relationship with God, His very glorious presence, they had. They were with God. They were walking with God. Uh, They had been brought out of Egypt, and they were going through, and very quickly, the people said they believed the same lie that the talking serpent Satan gave to Adam and Eve, their forefather and mother, because somewhere along the line, they came to Aaron, and they said, Moses is up on that mountain, and we don't know if he's ever coming back, and we want the promised land. We want what God is offering us, but we just don't want God. Oh, what a danger. We want the promised land. We want all the promises and the blessings of God. We just want, don't want God. So, Aaron, we need you to make us an idol, one that we're familiar with, one that, that reminds us uh, of our previous home, which, by the way, was a home of slavery and bondage. Isn't it fascinating? Uh, I'm, I'm going a little ahead of myself, maybe, but when we do come to Christ, that we find a, a way to step back in and go well maybe it'd be like the leper who God, uh, who Christ uh, heals and he said but Jesus i'd love to just have one with those blemishes left heal most of my leprosy but every now and then i'd like to just be reminded every now and then i'd like to step back into the lost that's what the people here did they didn't trust god They sinned against him, they made the idol, and Moses comes down from the mountain, he smashes the tablets, you know uh, the story, and that's where we pick up. Because what God has said now is I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you. My glory won't be in your midst. The only thing that makes you distinct from everybody else in the world, I'm removing. The only thing that makes you who you are, I'm taking away from you. I'm taking myself away. It is the greatest punishment a parent can ever do to a child. And I'm not talking about a simple time out. I'm talking about the worst damage a parent can ever do to a child and you've experienced that. It's to say, I'm removing my presence from you. I'm removing me from you. And God, the ultimate parent here, was saying, I have to. I have to. Just like I had to kick Adam and Eve out of the garden. I have to step away from you. Because if I stay with you, and he calls them, what a name, you stiff-necked people. You people who just don't get it. He said, I love you. I just brought you out. I've got this land for you. And I'll let you have it, but I'm not going with you. Friends, that is glory lost. And some of you are in that place right now. Either by open rebellion against God, rejection of God, uh, maybe saying, God, I want all the beauties of what you have for me, I want all the blessings of the promised land, I want everything. I just don't want you. I was a rebellious teenager. Grew up in the church and hated the church, hated everything that my father stood for, uh, didn't want any of it, went off to college and the same thing. Uh, And at the end of the day, what I was really saying was, mom and dad, I'd like for you to pay for college. I need you to pay for my car. Didn't have cell phones back then, but I would have added that to the tally. Uh, I need you to do all of this but then I'd like you to leave me the heck alone. I don't want you. I just want your blessing. And in any good parental relationship, that wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough for me and it wasn't good enough for them. And it's the same way here. The people are utterly lost. They know that they're lost. That's part of chapter 33 there. Uh, The people look up and they go, basically, we're in deep weeds. We are undone. If God doesn't go with us, what is going to happen to us? And we ask the question how do we go from glory lost to glory restored? The key is Moses, the key is the mediator. And what I want you to get by that is Moses steps in. Moses comes in in verse 12, and then Moses said to the Lord, see, and I'm reading from the New American Standard, "Uh, see, thou dost say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself, you're not going to go with us. And the Lord says, I'll go with you. Interesting, singular masculine pronoun. I'll go with you, Moses. Moses knew exactly what that meant. Verse 15, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us in there at all. Moses was saying this, I have offered my life for them, for theirs earlier in chapter 33. I have offered to be their sacrifice. I have offered to do that. And it's not good enough just for me to get into the promised land with your presence. They have to have it too. He prayed, he fought, he went before the Lord, and he said, we have to have your glory back. We have to have your glory back. How do we get it back? The good news, the really good news, there's a greater Moses. Hebrews tells us that. Hebrews speaks and says that Jesus Christ is the greater, considered of more honor than Moses. How and why did the writer of Hebrews tie those two guys together? Because there had to be a mediator for Israel and there has to be a mediator for us. There has to be one who would step in the gap of of God's absence and say, I will pay it all. I will take it all. I'm going to pray on their behalf. I'm going to do all on this on their behalf so that your glory will return to them. Friends, that thing that you are missing is what the mediator gives you. You can't do it on your own. You cannot mediate on your own. When I first came out of college, I uh, was uh, in banking in back at the time. Uh, and uh, it was a silly system. I worked in Charlotte, but was based out of South Carolina. We'd get paid in Charlotte uh, and couldn't cash my checks or deposit them in Columbia because they were two uh, different banks at the time. It was a silly system, and I joked with a friend, and I said, I think I just need to go meet with Hugh McCall and mediate this thing. didn't use the word mediate, but I thought Hugh McCall was CEO at that time. Any of you all who know him, uh, you know that that would be a very silly thing for me to do. (laughs) He would have destroyed me. One, he would have gone, who are you? You're an analyst just out of Presbyterian College, you're a fighting blue hose, whatever the blue hose is, and somehow you got a job in my bank. Who do you think you are talking to me? Some of us think that we can go to the God of this universe and mediate on our own. Hey God, let me just sit, and and the way that we know this is it says in the scripture, when the final trumpet sounds, Some of us are going to stand before God and we're going to blow our own trumpets. God, look at what I've done. Look at how good I am. Look at my list of accomplishments. Let me mediate on my own. Let me tell you how wonderful I would be as an addition to your heavenly kingdom. And what we learn in this, we have to have a mediator. And it says in this passage, Uh, that God was pleased with Moses. God was pleased. Verse uh, 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will also do the thing for which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I've known you by name. If you know anything about the Bible, maybe that takes you forward to our true mediator coming on the scene, walking along the Jordan River, And John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And a voice from heaven comes down and says, this is my son in whom I'm pleased. My pleasure in the mediator is your only hope. Not my pleasure in you. So my friends, you better make sure who your mediator is. It can't be you. It's not your parents. It's not your grandmama who played the organ at church and therefore you're going to skate in uh, on her mediation. It's not when you had Jesus bumps at young life at 14 and have lived the rest of your life without any vestige uh, of Christ at all. Those are the worst funerals, by the way, to ever do. Bill, would you do the funeral of my beloved father? He was 75. Tell me about his relationship with Jesus. Oh, I don't think I remember him ever going to church and he was a very hard man, but when he was 13, he walked to the aisle. What are you mediating? Who's your mediator? The glory is restored through the work of the mediator, Christ, and the beauty is this. God says, I'm gonna go with you. I'm gonna be with you. In the couple of minutes we have left, I wanted to tell you how you can enjoy that glory. So it's glory and joy. Moses wanted to see, and gosh, again, Matt, I'm sorry, this is such a, a poignant piece of the passage, and we're just going to sort of blow by it because Moses goes, Hey, God, now that I know that we're back together, I know you're going to be with us, I'd like to see your glory. And God, you have to imagine there was a, a cosmic chuckle. <laughs> silly little boy. (laughs) You don't know what you're asking. I would destroy you if my presence, my glory went before you. But here's what I'll do. I'll let my goodness, my divine attribute of my loveliness and my kindness, I'll let that go before you. He says he went up on Sinai and he put him in a cleft of, interesting by again in the Hebrew, in the cleft of the rock covered him by hand. God walked before him, uh, speaking basically about the greatness of who he is, uh, saying, this is who I am. He took his hand away, uh, and Moses caught a glimpse uh, of the radiance uh, of his trains. It's not, people say, his backside. It's not the rudeness of his backside. Uh, It was, think about uh, the coronation of what you just saw uh, in Buckingham Palace, in all of the robes the pales in comparison to the cosmic robes of glory and the presence of God, and he got to see it. He got to see it. And then interestingly enough, Moses wanted to see God. God said, you don't need to see me, you need to know me. Because right there in chapter 34, God preached a sermon. Look at these words. Real quickly. I think it's verse 5, guys. The Lord descended in the cloud, stood with him there, proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord proclaimed his own name. The Lord passed before him, proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will be by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth, and he worshiped. We say all the time, I just want to see God. No, you don't. You need to know God. Jesus has said this, I am the perfect. When the disciples came in John 14 and said, we want to see God, the Father. Jesus said, you don't need to see the Father. If you see me, you have the Father. And so what we need more than anything else is to know who God is to know him, to know his compassion, his grace, his, his slow to angerness, his loving faithfulness, his forgivingness, uh, his justice. We need to see all of that. Guys, again, if you have time, flip over to 1 Kings 19 and Elijah. When Elijah goes to Sinai, it says in the Hebrew, the Lord took him to the cleft of the rock. Same cleft, same mountain that he went to, and God said, you want to see me, but I'm not in the thunder, I'm not in the earthquake, I'm not in all of that, and he whispered a sermon to him. He spoke in a still, quiet voice. He said, what you really need is just to know me. So friends, here's here's my call to action for you tonight, today. Do you know him? Do you know him? couple of parting gifts. Here's how you can enjoy his glory and know him. First is to believe and the second is to behold. We said this men on the men's retreat. If you want to grow in your intimate relationship with Christ, there is a belief and a beholding. Believe who he is. Believe in the mediator. By faith, believe that Christ is the one who can do this for you and restore your relationship. Believe those things. Engage your mind but engage the other side of your mind as well, the side that is of beauty. Consider Jesus, remember what John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God, just sit and look at him. Come down to Hilton Head anytime and stand on our beaches and, and, and look in the marshes See the beauty of a radiant sunrise and a sunset and just behold the beauty of who God is. Kurt Thompson, the wonderful writer said, put yourself in the path of oncoming beauty and allow it to shape you. Behold Him in that. And then the last thing I'll say is this, see the beauty and glory in one another. That's why churches exist. There's something about being in relationship with somebody else that I learn more about the beauty of my Savior through my relationship with my wife and my relationship with my sons and my relationship with my friends and others. They turn the prism and the beauty of the radiant glory of God is refracted differently. And then when you have somebody who's struggling with something, here's what you need to do call out the glory that's inside of them. Say, you can't see this, but I can. I can see the beauty of God working in your life. I can see His radiant glory right in the middle of your broken marriage that you don't think can make it, but I see that it can. Because God can be glorified in it. In the rebellion of your children, uh, in the frustration of your children, of, living, of growing in a home where your parents fight all the time or one is left, speak beauty, call it out. One of the cultural uh, distinctives of our staff that we use all the time is this, we want to see and celebrate the Jesus in each other. And what that means is I wanna see your glory. Friends, Christ has offered you his presence. The question is, do you want just his blessing? Or do you want everything that goes with having him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the beauty of who you are. Thank you that your glory has been given to us in Christ. For we need two things more than anything else. We need to know about you. And we need a path to access you. And you've given us both of those in Christ but he be glorified in our lives today. Amen.